0: Amen. You can be seated. Yeah, well, great to, uh, great to see you again here. Um, w- once again, those of you online, uh, thanks for watching. How you been? How you been? Like, summarize it in one word. No, don't. It's, it's too tricky, right? It, that's kind of the question you're sort of asking everyone, isn't it? Right? There's all these people you haven't seen in a long time. It's like, man, how have things been going? And you kind of have the same conversation, like, every time. And uh, the conversation tends to be something like, "Well, it's been kind of a roller coaster." <laughs> you know, that's sort of how this whole last few months have been, right? Uh, at least for me, my, my guess is for a lot of you, you know, maybe it started out kind of fun, right? Like, it, you know, it was like, "Wow, I, I'm gonna, I have all these do-it, you know, do-it myself projects that I'm gonna take care of, and all these books I'm gonna read." <laughs> yeah. Right, like what made you think you were gonna like during the most stressful time ever, become the most productive version of yourself you've ever been? Like who are you kidding? Right? That wasn't gonna happen. But but we had a few weeks where it was like, oh man, this Zoom thing, have you heard about Zoom? This is so cool, right? Who thinks Zoom is still cool? <laughs> eh, right? Like it's pretty lousy. So so it started off maybe for some of you kind of fun, and then it just kinda of got weary and it got long and it got hard. Some of you you didn't ever even have the fun part. It just was hard right away maybe you got furloughed maybe you got laid off maybe you just whatever the case some of you just kind of front line you you didn't have a chance to sort of stop and slow down you were you were plugging away right others of you you uh you said oh this is all right but but now now you got tired and then after that you know we kind of had that whole time and then and then the tragic thing with george floyd happened and race protests and riots and conflict between police and Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and turmoil, turmoil, turmoil. And the good news is there's an election coming up here in a few months, so it's all gonna get better, right? I heard someone the other day say, you know what, this, this whole thing has felt like, um, it felt like I signed up to run a marathon and then I used all my energy to run the marathon and I got to the finish line and they were like, psych, it's a triathlon and they handed me a bike and I had to like keep going. Right, and he said, "This is like it feels like this kind of crazy Russian doll set of like cascading, like oh no." He said, "I'm just wondering, like what's in the center? I hope it's chocolate." Is what he said. Like I, I, that's what I really want right now. It's just chocolate, and and so maybe maybe you're like me, where like you you have just had your emotional shock absorbers just get really thin. You find yourself on edge. You find yourself grouchy. You find yourself irritable. You find yourself short with people you love. Through it all, a lot of us, we've just missed being with people. Now, I know some of you haven't, right? Some of you are like, I've been training my whole life for this. I'm introverted, and I just have had these last three months. has been like my dream, right? And so, but but, but even for you, you probably had some moments where the people in your life just weren't as available as you wanted them to be, or whatever the case might be. And, and the reality is we, we just long to be together, right? Even those of you watching online right now who have prioritized the decisions you've made, there's probably part of you that's still like, oh, but I kinda wish I could be there. And, and there's just something about being together. So, so the question is, why do we long to be together? Why, why do we long for relationships? Why do relationships have such a huge impact in our lives? right? Probably the quality of the last few months for you has been shaped largely by the quality of your relationships. That's generally true in life, especially true in times of pain and crisis. Some of you, the reason this, this thing has been so hard is because the relationships in your life are tense, and they're not great, and they're difficult, and, and you've had more than ever time to be in difficult situations, right? So So why are relationships so big? And the answer is because we're made in the image of a relational God. And this relational God wove relationship into the fabric of the universe. That's the big idea here tonight, is that we're made in the image of a relational God who wove relationship into the fabric of the universe. That's what this series is about, as relationals. For the next four weeks, we're going to look at what it means to live in a relational world that was created by a relational God. Uh, today, we're going to look at who God is and just how God at his core is about love and about relationship. Uh, we're going to look in coming weeks about how God made the universe and uh, what that means for us that we live in this relational world. First, tonight, we're going to look at, at God's core. But before we do, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to open your word. The opportunity for have your, to have your spirit search us and know us and teach us and encourage us. And God, that's what we pray you would do. God, we praise you for uh, the ability to gather. We praise you for the technology to be able to broadcast into places all over the country and world even. And God, we pray that through all of these different mediums that you would speak, that we would hear your voice, and that we would know that you care. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight we're going to look at God's core, God's dance, God's sacrifice, and God's, what was the last thing? (laughs) I'm kind of getting, I'm getting the hang of this again, right? It's been a while. Uh, God's emotions, that's what we're going to look at. So first, God's core, God's core. It's interesting when you think about God as a person, when you get to the core of who God is, what do you find? Who is God at his Core, right? One of the interesting fun things for our family over those last few months has been to really realize how much our little guy, Hank, who's three, like at his core is music and especially drums. The kid loves drums. He's always been banging on stuff and so for Christmas we actually had gotten him some drums, right? Not a, not a kit like this, but like the kind you just put on the floor. And, uh, but that wasn't good enough because he's learned that there's three kinds of drums. There's a boom, there's a rat-a-tat, and there's a crash right? The, the booms, the bass, and the rat tats the snare, and the, and the crashes, the cymbals. Well, we got him some booms and some rat tats We didn't get him any crashes, so he had to rob the, you know, the pots and pans for that. So, so what we ha- find is like almost every Sunday when we would have our online service or other times we would just be watching music, he kind of gets this big look in his face, these bright eyes, and he goes... I know what I have to do, and he runs into the playroom, and he gets his drums, and he brings them out, and he sets them all up, and they're all very organized, and then he plays with the music that he's watching on the TV, he plays, right? And this is what I used to do, right? As a kid, my core was baseball, right? I would watch a baseball game, and I would run, and I would get catcher's gear, and I would sit there and squat down, and I would watch the game in my catcher's gear, right? And so, so at my core was baseball. For Hank, it seems to be music. Right, we're about to go uh, be with some family in Ohio and w- we're gonna see my, my nephew Zeke. And Zeke at his core is construction, right? This kid is like, he's either three or four, I'm not sure. And he's definitely more handy than me, <laughs> which really is not a huge hurdle to clear, but, but he's, he's very handy. And so like, that's kind of at his core. So that's kind of in his bones. What's in God's bones? What's in God's core? Well, the answer is found in 1 John chapter four. First John chapter four, look at verse seven and eight. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Who is God at his core? God is love. Deep in God's bones is not music and it's not baseball, it's love. That's who God is at his core. This is why uh, John says here in chapter four and really it says all over the Bible that if you claim you love God but you don't love people, you're a liar. (laughs) If you claim you love God but you're really just selfish, you're deceived. If you claim you love God but you ignore the plight of the people around you, you don't have the heart of God because God is love. Now, a couple of things we need to make sure we clarify here because when we hear God is love, there's some ways we might misunderstand it. One, we might start to think that this means that God is only love. That's how some people wanna talk about it, that God is only love, but, but that's not what the Bible reveals. The Bible reveals that God is at his core love, but he's also fully holy, fully righteous, fully just. His holiness is a loving holiness, His righteousness is a loving righteousness. His justice is a loving justice. But he's not only love, as though you could just reduce God to this one quality. No, he's all of those things, and in all of those things, he's loving. The second kind of misunderstanding is is we might be tempted to think that, and this is what a lot of people maybe more in the culture do, is to say, okay, love is God. So instead of God is love, we'd say love is God, right? And, and someone would say, well, here's my definition. Here's my description of how, what I think love is. And, and that is God, right? That becomes the most important thing. That becomes the standard. That becomes the thing we live for. That becomes the thing that if anyone opposes my vision of love, they're a bigot. They're hurtful. They're wrong. That's not what this says. This says that God is love, not that love is God. God is love. Now think about this for a second. Here's what this must mean, right? I, I don't know that we instinctively think of this, but 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 chew on this for just a moment. If God is at his core love, then God must be at his core relational. God must have forever existed in a community of persons. He must be at his core relational in order to at his core be loving. Some people would say, well, you know, there is no God and and that's really kind of a a bleak way to live because if if you think, well, there's no God, well, then all of your feelings and all of your values and all of those things don't really have any meaning. There's no meaning in this life. You're just a product of impersonal forces and the chemistry in your brain and while love might feel important, you have no real basis for saying it's important. It's just another chemical reaction in your brain. But here's the other thing. If God is unipersonal, meaning one person rather than one God eternally existing in three persons, right? If God is just unipersonal, this would be like the Islam version of Allah. If God is unipersonal, then there wasn't love until God created other things to love. Which means in that version of God, God is powerful and God is mighty and God is strong, but he's not loving at his core because he had to create something and then he could be loving. But we worship a God who has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is love and God is relational because God is triune. This is very difficult to understand and that leads us to the second point of God's dance. God's dance. See, the the Trinity is a hard thing to get your head around, right? Because on one hand, you're saying there's one God, and he eternally exists in three persons, father, son, and spirit. And You go, how does that work? Right, and, and those of you who are parents, you, you, you get questions from your kids about this, don't you? For my kids, they've usually been like right before bedtime. <laughs> like, uh, all, it, it's crazy, you put a kid to bed, they get instantly thirsty, mm-hmm. and they get instantly really curious about deep theology, right? <laughs> and I'm not sure either one is really genuine, but right, they kind of go, well, no, we just prayed. so. When Jesus, we pray to Jesus, but isn't Jesus God? who well, who Jesus pray to? Himself? Right? And they start asking these questions. You're like, just go to bed. I don't have time for your theology. Just go to sleep, right? But but these are and, and the reason you say that is mostly because you're like, I don't know how to answer that question, right? Honey, you know, um, and it's 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 really tricky. It's hard to understand the, the Trinity. And so people over the years have tried to come up with images and illustrations to kind of imagine what the Trinity's like. Some people said, well, it's like an egg where there's a shell and a yolk and an egg white and... eh." That's not a good illustration, right? That, or, or it's like water with mist and ice and water. And the problem is, any of these illustrations, they end up becoming something that the church has condemned in its history as heresy, <laughs> right? So these are problems, right? All these illustrations, they're really, really tough. But, but here's one picture that I think has been uh, helpful for me, and that's the idea of God eternally existing in a dance. The dance of God. C.S. Lewis writes about this, that great philosopher he says this in Christianity God is not an impersonal thing nor a static thing not even just one person but a dynamic pulsating activity a life a kind of drama almost if you will not think me irreverent a kind of dance the pattern of this three personal life is the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality where does Lewis get this idea that, that the people, the persons of the Trinity are, are, in a sense, dancing around each other, pulsating with life and reality? Well, I think he probably gets it from places like John 16 and John 17, because there we hear Jesus, and he's talking about this dynamic. And he says in John 16 that the Spirit glorifies the Son. In John 17, he says that the Son glorifies the Father, He also says there that the Father glorifies the Son and that they've been doing this forever in eternity. So so here's what you have. You have the the Father glorifying the Son and the Son glorifying the Spirit and the Spirit glorifying the Father and the Father glorifying the Spirit. And you just get this, that this has been going forever. Now think about this idea of glorifying, right? That's kind of a churchy word. We don't think about that. What's, What's glorifying mean? Well, here's what it means. It's putting something at the center of your life and rejoicing in it and delighting in it And serving it. And so here's what this means. This means that for eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit have been putting each other at the center. Self giving love of one another in this dance. Uh, In his book, Reason for God, Tim Keller elaborates on this idea from Lewis. He says this if we think of it graphically, we could say that self centeredness is to be stationary static. In self-centeredness we demand that others orbit around us. We will do things and give affection to others as long as it helps us meet our personal goals and fulfills us. The inner life of the triune God, however, is utterly different. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness but by mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else we enter into a uh, a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. That creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. See, some of you have been in relationships where there's been a self-centered person. And the self-centered person has said, you know what, this life will go well and this family will go well. This relationship will go well as long as you do what I want. My preferences win. My expectations are met. Everything has to orbit around me. And you know how difficult that is. Because that's not a loving person. It's a very manipulative person. And God is not like that. This is is what's amazing. This is what it means that God is love, is that forever God has been putting the needs of Father, Son, and, and, and Spirit at the center and mutually giving himself. Which leads us to the third thing we wanna look at tonight which is God's sacrifice. If God is always looking to give himself, then it makes sense that God would then look to give himself to his people, right? God doesn't create humanity as a kind, out of neediness, right? God didn't go, man, I just really need something and someone else to love, and so I'll create this. No, no, God created us out of the overflow of his generosity and his goodness. And then when we say, well, God, I don't really want anything to do with you. That's what sin is. We say, God, you know what? I I don't want to orbit around you. I'd like everything to orbit around me. Thank you. What does God do? Well, it says in verse 9, look at First John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to the, be the propitiation for our sins. See, the love of God means that when we were at our worst, God came to dance around us. God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's a word you haven't used this week, right? You're not going to use it next week. You're not going to use it at all unless you're studying the Scripture. What's propitiation mean? Well, it means a wrath absorber. Someone or something that that bears the weight of judgment. So Jesus comes, He's sent, and on the cross He bears the punishment we deserved for our self-centeredness. He experiences the justice of God against our sin. On the cross, Jesus starts circling and serving us. Isn't that different than how we tend to love? We don't tend to love like that. We, We tend to love very strategically. I'll love you if, and I'll love you so that, And we can be kind of manipulative in our approach. That's not how God is. And it makes me think of the story that I heard of this king. And this king was this very beloved king in this particular kingdom, which tells you it must be a make-believe story. Um, But this beloved king was was there, and there was this farmer. And this farmer had this uh, piece of land where he grew all sorts of different uh, vegetables and different things like that. And this one particular year, this farmer grew this incredible carrot. It was the biggest, best, brightest carrot he'd ever grown, and he said, you know what? As a token of my affection, I want to give this to the king, and so he arranged to be able to see the king, and he took it to him, and he said, oh, king, I, I love you. I appreciate you. You are such a blessing to our kingdom, and I'm thankful, and this is the finest carrot I've ever grown, and just as a token of my love and appreciation for you, I want you to have it the king was just blown away. He said, man, that's incredible. That is so generous. That is so thoughtful. I've never seen a carrot like this. And think, you could have really fed you and your family for quite some time with this carrot, but you've given it to me. And clearly, you're a a gifted farmer. So you know what? I want to give you 10 times the land that you currently have so that you can grow more carrots like this. The farmer was blown away. It wasn't what he expected. Meanwhile, a nobleman in the king's court was overhearing this thing and thinking, he got all that for a carrot? He thought, well, I raise horses. And so we went back, and he found one of his stallions, one of the best battle horses he had. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give this to the king, and let's see what that gets me. And he goes to the king. He says, oh, king, I love you. You're a great king. You're amazing. And I've been you know, raising these horses, and this is the very best horse that I have, and I want you to have it, oh, great king. And the king said thank you. And the nobleman was waiting. It was apparent that he thought more was going to come. It didn't, and the king said, oh, were you hoping I would give you something? He said, the farmer gave me the carrot, you gave yourself the horse. Isn't that how we love? But that's not how God loves God sacrifices, God gives, he centers on us, he invites us into his family. Now now listen, that is wonderful news theologically. That is wonderful news positionally, right? The fact that we would go from being an enemy of God to an adopted child of God, that we would go from being kind of in 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 the scope of God's wrath to being forgiven and free, that is great news, but listen tonight, it gets better than this. How does it get better than this? Well, reflecting on God's love and God's dance and God's sacrifice leads us to think also about God's emotions, God's emotions. See, here's the good news tonight, is that God doesn't just love us officially or legally. He loves us personally and emotionally. This has been such good news for me over these last months. This is great to conceptually know God loves you, but but I've had a few moments I've just experienced in a way that I think is only possible by God's spirit a sense of him saying I adore you Luke son of Don I don't adore you as pastor Luke as leader Luke as preacher Bible teacher Luke I adore you as love you and I'm with you. Oh, that's such a difference. Do you know God that way? See, God isn't just the author of the story, but he enters into the story. And he feels what we feel and he connects with us. And here's the thing, if you connect in any relationship, if there's like a a real sense of connection, right? That's the connection you feel like you've been missing over these last few months as you've been separated or you've tried to do it through Zoom and you've had a little bit of it, but it's just different. And when you get together, it's like, ah, yes, there's that connection. And when there's that connection, what's with it? Affection, affection, these these feelings, these emotions of, of, get this, here's what affection is. Affection is being affected. If I have affection toward you, that means I am affected by what you are affected by. When you are thrilled, I am thrilled. When you are down, I am down. It's entering into a relationship where I'm not staying off at a distance, but I'm allowing myself to be affected by what affects you. This is God feeling emotions. Now we get really spooked by emotions, don't we? We, we, we feel bad about them, right? Like imagine you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden in the conversation, they start to cry. What will they do almost 100% of the time as they start crying? They'll apologize, won't they? They'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I thought this might happen. I'm so embarrassed. Why? You don't have to be. Right? We, we, we hurl emotional, right? Oh, she's so emotional as an insult. Now listen, emotionalism is a problem, right? If, if emotions are just driving everything, right? Do, do, do any of you live with teenage girls? Anyway, if emotions drive everything, it can be a problem. Emotionalism's a problem, but emotions are part of, get this, this is part of who God is. You are emotional not because you're a sinner, but because you're made in the image of an emotional, relational, affected God. God has these emotions. I want to show you just some places where we see Father, Son, and Spirit all experiencing emotion. Look at Isaiah chapter 62. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I get the privilege of officiating weddings. Uh, I've been to a lot of weddings. And uh, you know, it, when you go to a wedding, you can't help but look at the bride, right? Right? everyone stands and all eyes go to the back and the bride, there she is, and she's radiant and beautiful and her hair and her makeup and her dress and she just looks great. And everyone looks there. But, but I gotta tell you, I, I tend to, I, I look, but then I wanna look at the groom. And, and the reason is I know how I felt when I saw Molly coming down that aisle. Now maybe it's different, like if you do all your pictures beforehand and you first look and you see each other beforehand, maybe you experience all the emotion during that, but I didn't have that. And, and when I saw those doors open and Molly coming down, I lost it, right? My father-in-law later was like, I was trying to hold it together and you were no help, <laughs> right? Because I just, I was overcome with, with delight and emotion. I couldn't believe it. She was just stunning and I couldn't believe this was really happening. And I just... It wasn't even any rash. It was just I was overcome with affection for her. And so when I'm doing a wedding or when I'm at a wedding, I like to look at the groom. And there's maybe it's not tears, but there's always a look. And you know what I think as I watch that? That's how God feels about me. That's what it says. As a groom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Listen, God is not just tolerating you. God is not just enduring you. God is not putting up with you until you become a little bit better version of you. He is rejoicing over you. He loves you. We could go to a lot of examples when we think about Jesus, the Son. There's lots of places where you see his emotion. Luke 19 is one of them. When Jesus drew near the city and saw it, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, right? He saw this city filled with people building their lives on things other than him. He saw this city rejecting him as the path to life. And, and it wasn't that he was just wounded personally or hurt or offended. It was that he loved those people. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, begun to be affected in such a way that his physical tear ducts welled up. Liquid came out because he's a person who's affected emotionally and he loves his people. We see affection and emotion in the spirit in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Notice it doesn't say and do not disobey the Holy Spirit of God, though that's implied, but don't grieve him. He's a person. He can be hurt. He can be saddened. He can be grieved. Well, what what grieves him? The next verse says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Why do we put away all the relational discord? It's not just because it breaks God's rules. It's because it breaks God's heart. He's a person. He's grieved. He's hurt. When we are cruel, when we are unkind, when we are know-it-alls, when we are unaffected by his people why does this matter this matters a ton in these moments where you just feel like i'm on this roller coaster ride and the shock absorbers are thin and my emotions are real close to the surface here's the thing god sees you there and he knows you there and he loves you there we're weary and we're volatile and listen i rejoice that god is steady his emotional shock absorbers are thick. But get this. He's steady, but he's not stoic. He's not stone-faced. He's not cold. So he sees us, and he feels our pain, and he keeps moving toward it. Oh, that's good news tonight, isn't it? Be encouraged. We have a relational loving God let's pray oh Father thank you for your love and affection for us God what a picture that you rejoice over us with singing oh Jesus thank you for the way you show us who God is and what he's like and Spirit thank you for the affection you have for us and the way that you encourage us and pray for us when we don't even know what to pray for ourselves, for the way that you speak to our hearts, that cry out, Abba, Father, that testify that we are your children. Uh, God, we come here tonight not uh, filled with strength, not filled with a bunch of resources to draw deeply from, Uh, but God, we come hungry tonight and thirsty for righteousness, thirsty to know you thirsty to experience your touch. And so God, would you encourage us again by your word, we pray in Christ's name.